You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. After you're done greeting and meeting, you can turn to John chapter 21. It's the, the very last two verses of the Gospel of John. And uh, I would encourage you to turn there on your own because we, we are in the habit of not putting up the, the Bible verses for you because you don't need it. You're not babies, right? You're Mill Sunday School nerds. Yeah. So turn to John chapter 21, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then uh, it's the very end of the book of John, and I really like how it ends. And so I'll read this first, and then I'll, I'll go back to it uh, after I tell a quick story. Um, but let's read this uh, verse first. So John chapter 21, the very end, verse 24 says, This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. So it's John like referring to, them, referring to himself, saying, I, John, I'm writing these things down. And he says this, We know that his testimony is true. That Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not even have room for all the books that would be written. So it's this ending of John saying, I've recorded all that he did, and I didn't record some things, because if I did, then all the world couldn't even hold all the books of the things that Jesus did. And so that's the subject of today's uh, lesson here at the Mill Sunday School. It is... um, what Jesus did. So let's pray to him. Jesus, we do thank you and, and praise you for, for the, the acts and the miracles, the parables that you told, the, the people you met with, God, that you are such uh, an amazing example of, of what life could be, what life should be on this earth. God, we thank you and we praise you that you showed us the way and that you, in fact, yourself were the way. You are the way for us today. And so we worship you. God, we praise you this morning. And everybody screamed. Amen. Well, I want to tell you a story of when I was in a youth group. Um, anybody do the youth group thing when they're in high school? Yeah, lots of hands. Sweet. So I became a Christian in high school, and so I, my high school experience of being in a youth group, uh, I remember the very first time I ever went to a youth group, um, and it was really cool. It was a Protestant youth group of the church, and I went, and the people were really nice. And I remember them being so nice that I thought they were being fake. I thought they were, like, setting me up for, like, a, a long con um, just like to make fun of me a long con. I don't know. That just came to my head. Um, anyway, I thought they were being really nice to me to like have this like uh, Stephen King carry moment or something and make fun of me later. Um, I really, I, they, were, they were so nice to me. Anyways, I loved the youth group. I, I thought that it was cool that people were like singing, actually singing the songs. And it was back when like they were singing songs like, uh, Lord, I lift your name on high and uh, God is an awesome God. Um, just the greats. And then there was the song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Anybody? Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go. <laughs> what is that? It's like, what? That's a worship song? Like, are you kidding me? Um, but I love it. There was something about it that I just fell in love with the people and the community. And the sermons, um, I had, I had I kind of gone to, to church before. I grew up Catholic, but I'd never been to a youth group where like, people were really into this relationship with Jesus. That part of it was new to me. I just missed that out on that as a kid um, for some reason. But I remember the, the, the pastor speaking messages. In the first uh, series that I was a part of, the youth pastor taught a series on the five, or no, excuse me, the seven miracles that are in the Gospel of John. And so there's seven miracles, uh, the water into wine, healing uh, the, the, the man's son, healing at the pool, feeding the 5,000, Jesus walking water, healing the blind men, and then Jesus rising from the dead. 
uh, are the seven miracles recorded in the Gospel of John. And I just remember hearing that for the first time. Listening to these stories, the youth pastor was a great speaker. And like, yeah, Jesus did these miracles. And then I remember he did an altar call kind of thing at the end of that seven-week series. And it ended with just the verse that we just read. Like, and Jesus did even more things than that, than this, that are recorded. And if all of them were written down, not even all the books in all the world could record all the things that Jesus did. How awesome is that? And it was like, how awesome is that in our own lives? Jesus continues to do work. And I remember that really, in my mind, set me up for like, I want that. I want Jesus inside of me and to have a relationship with him. I believe in the works and the miracles. And so today, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk, as we are on this topic of Christology, the person, the work of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about what he did here this morning at the Mill Sunday School. So welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Um, If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, uh, well, then we have these cards on all the tables. You can fill one of them out. Bring it to the nice people as you leave. There's, there'll be, um, actually, we're starting to give away gift bags now with like a CD in it and Brady Boyd's book, um, Sons and Daughters. So if you're new, congrats, you get a gift today. Uh, if you're not new, don't steal the books. <laughs> Go buy one at the bookstore. Um, but, uh, but if you are new, we would love to give you the gift, and it's pretty cool that we have those. So anyways, uh, we are on this nine-month-long topic, and I want to take a moment and kind of talk about where we've been and where we're going. So on your table should be these bookmarks. looks like this. I kind of zoomed in to show that uh, we're talking about all uh, September through May, nine months. Here we are in January studying Jesus, and this is systematic theology. There's these nine topics in this order is what the theologians call systematic theology. Doing it in the system that is this order and organization is systematic theology. So I was going to quickly review, take three minutes and review systematic theology, because here we are just about in the middle of this nine-month series that began so long ago uh, in September, and here we are uh, in, in January, about halfway through. And so we began with an with a introduction to systematic theology and said, well, where do we start? If we're going to talk about all things Christian, God, um, all things spiritual, how do we begin? Where, what do we talk about? How can we talk about all these things that is systematic theology, all these things that make uh, up what we believe? So we have, uh, we started with, um, in September, we started with introduction to theology, and then we thought, um, and, and by the way, it's not just us doing systematic theology. We're kind of taking on what has historically been known uh, since the Middle Ages as systematic theology and doing theology in this order. Um, we kind of enter into our, our own church history and we take a part of um, this organization that's gone before us and kind of stood the test of time. So it's not just we're making up this new way of doing things here in the Mill Sunday School, but, but kind of carrying on this thing that has been. So we started off with an introduction to theology. Then we said, let's talk about God next. If we're going to talk about all things spiritual and all things having to relate to God, well, then let's talk about who he is. And so we talked about God and how he is infinite. We listed the omnis of God, and we listed uh, the fact that we believe in a triune God. And then we said, well, then let's talk about what he has made. And we talked about how uh, creation is, is everything, is either God or his creation. We don't believe that God, um, there was something preexistent with God. As Christians, we say, well, God was God, 
always has been, always will. And then ex nihilo, out of nothing, he made his creation. And then we did talk, we did do one Sunday where we had Aaron Higgins and Chris Simmons and Jordan Lee. Remember when they were up here and they debated different views of evolution and creation? Anybody here for that? I mean, that was a long time ago, but um, we did that. And then we talked about the subset of uh, creation. And so you could see it just kind of zooming out. You could see this makes sense. This order makes sense. You know, you talk, you'd first of all introduce it. You talk about God, and then you talk about what he has made, and then, well, he made humans, a subset of creation. And we talked about how uh, we are made in the image of God. We discussed ethical issues related to the image of God. We had the Foley's, remember that, come up here and talked about um, the, the right of life and abortion and uh, the controversies that we are now experiencing in our culture with that. And then we talked, uh, Chris Cordero, remember, he came up and shared about the problem of evil and the, the accident that led him to be in the wheelchair that he's now in, but how his faithfulness remains and he's faithful to God. Um, and so we talked about humanity. And then uh, we talked about, with the subject that we're now in is this bridge between God and humanity, us and God, the, the, the fully God, fully man, Jesus. And so we began this month talking about the humanity of Jesus, and Aaron Wagner did a great job uh, talking through that. And then uh, we talked about how Jesus is also fully God. And we talked about Aaron Higgins came up, and we talked about the Lewis trilemma. Do you remember that? Anybody? Remember the, the if, if liar, lunatic, lord thing? Right? Anybody see us, Lewis? Right? Yes. Okay, good. Um, you're just, all right. We talked about Jesus. And so next month, we're going to talk about, you know, if you, we keep going on this thing, well, the, the people, the, the humanity that believes in Jesus, well, then they're the saved ones. And so we'll talk about salvation, soteriology. And um, if, if someone is saved in Jesus, well, then they get the Holy Spirit. And so we'll talk about the Holy Spirit next. And I put them, uh, Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God all in the same color because I thought, well, let, let's remind ourselves that that's the Trinity. It goes back to uh, subject number two, which is God for us. And then after the Holy Spirit, the people that are saved, the people that are uh, walking with Jesus, of course, we'll talk about the church and who we are as the community of God. And we'll talk about that um, in April, I believe. And then in March, we will wrap up kind of the bookend with the end, end times, afterlife, what happens after this life. And so I just wanted to take, I think I just took like two, three minutes to talk about systematic theology, to talk about, this is kind of a review for us. These nine months have been and will be as we continue this series. Um, this, this, I mean, you'll leave here if you, if you take this seriously and you will have pretty much a, a Bible college or a seminary level education of systematic theology. Um, and so that's something to pat yourself on the back for, right? Just a slow, slow, slow clap that turns into a rush. Yes! Anybody? No? Right, anyways. In my head, it was really, it's a really cool moment. We're all just like, yeah! Maybe we'll do that later, some other day. So we're talking about Jesus, which uh, systematic theologians call that Christology, the study of Christ. And so we've been talking about the person of Jesus, and we talked about this photo, or this picture, uh, this painting of Jesus' eyes. Keep referring back to it, and it's like, yeah, his eyes look interesting. It looks like there's eyes from two different people. Well, that's what the author intended, or the the painter of this uh, uh, painting intended, that that the the dual nature of Christ, God and human, uh, fully at the same time, and try to represent that with the eyes. Um, So we talked about the person of Jesus, and last week we began the work of Jesus, talked about how he was fully uh, the Messiah that was to come. 
and fulfilled all those roles. And so let's talk more generally about this question. What did Jesus do? And so I want to give you a discussion question so you could uh, continue on with a conversation with the people that you met. So if you're at a smaller table, join a bigger table. I think uh, bigger is better in this case. Um, I try to discuss this question. So someone maybe gets assigned some money as a scribe, and uh, they will list the significant things that Jesus did. And so let me just preface that with this next sentence. So not what he said, or not what was done to him, but the things that he did. And so in some ways you could say, yeah, he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Well, that was something he said, not really something he did. Or you could say, duh, Jesus died on the cross. That's a pretty big deal. And you say, well, in, in a straightforward kind of definition, well, that was how he was executed. That was something that was done to him. What did Jesus do? And so there's plenty of things that he did. So maybe have someone at your table list uh, the things that you say. It's kind of like a brainstorm. No wrong answers, no bad, uh, bad uh, things to say, um, but only write down, uh, write down all of them. And so list the things, the significant things that Jesus did. Ready? Get set. Discuss. Uh, how many of you listed five or more things that he did? <clears throat> how many of you listed ten or more things? That he did? Ooh, two ta- three tables. How many of you? 15-ish? More than 15? 20? For real? Uh, 30? For real? More than, let's see, 30, 40? 40 things? 40-ish? So between 35, Josh, more? How many of you guys have? You're still counting? No, they're like looking at a Bible or something. They're cheated. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yell, yell some things out. I would love to hear just some ideas. He raised himself from the dead. Good. He what? He fed the poor? The 5,000? Yeah. He cleansed the temple. He came in and like, like threw over some tables. Like, ah! like I would do it, but I'd, I'd hurt my back. I don't want to hurt my back. Yes, Aaron. He talked about money. He, he, uh, remember he pulled that coin out of a fish's mouth? You remember that story? That's pretty cool. Yeah. He walked on water. Anybody list that one? What else did he do? He, what? he did carpentry. That's what he did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He made a lot of fish come. He, and then the disciples like catched all that huge fish and then ripped their nets. Yeah. What else? He turned water into wine. That's one of his first, his first miracle recorded in the book of John. He calmed the storm and then walked. Yeah. Showed us the Father. Hello. Good answer. Yes. He forgave the prostitute. He let that woman uh, wash his feet with uh, perfume and her own hair. Yeah. He raised the dead. Lazarus. Sure. Any, anything else? Yeah, Foley's. He healed the sick. Yeah, I I put down, um, so listing all the miracles Jesus did, if you go online and look at the, the, like, how many miracles did Jesus perform, you'll get somewhere between 32 and, like, 47 or something like that, which is, like, well, who's counting? Like, how is there that different in, like, how many miracles Jesus performed? But different things count, like, some miracles are, like, two parts, and so do you count them as two, or you just count them as one? Um, And so the people list them in different ways. How many of you said parables? Jesus told parables? I guess it 
kind of be a part of what he said. But um, Jesus told something like 30 or 40 parables. Uh, did anybody list uh, uh, cleansing uh, or praying for people that were demonically influenced? He did that like 20-something times in the Gospels. There would be someone afflicted with demonic oppression, and Jesus would tell the evil spirit to go, and then that person would be freed from that. Um, he interacts with people. How many of you put, like, the Samaritan woman? He talked with the Samaritan woman. He uh, talks with the Pharisees. He talks with uh, Nicodemus at night. Um, all these significant things Jesus did, which reminds me of these bracelets we used to wear. Raise your hand if you had one of these. Don't oh, look at all the hands. Look how many. Where are they now? Um, I was talking to Mackenzie yesterday, uh, Alex's friend, and, and we, we were just talking about it. And she was like, why don't we wear them anymore? Do we not care about what Jesus did anymore? Um, do we not care to be like him? Um, but they were cool. I, I, would be, I think it would be cool. I think it's been enough time to like bring them back and then because they'd be retro and cool. Um, I think it would be cool if we like got a whole bunch and started wearing them. And I think it would be cool. Anybody else with me? Do you think it would be cool? Me too. Let's bring it back. Um, so it was kind of a cool fad. And it was a fad. It was like a bracelet fad. Um, but I remember uh, the first time I saw one... Um, for some reason, my youth group didn't get into them because I was really sheltered uh, from, from the WWJD bracelet. But I remember being on an elevator, uh, a crowded elevator, and this girl that was wearing one, but I didn't notice it. And this lady got on, and she sees the girl wearing the WWJD bracelet, and she says, I keep seeing those everywhere. What does that mean? And in the, like, the 20 seconds the elevator moved, uh, this girl got to like, briefly share about how uh, she believes in Jesus, and how she runs decisions through what she thinks Jesus would do as, her, as she is a follower of Jesus. And it was just this really cool moment. Like, I remember standing in the elevator. I was like, wow, that's cool. I want one of those. Um, like, I, I, that's, that's a great idea to run things and process things in your life through what would Jesus do. And, of course, now it's like this people make fun of it. It's like, what would Bob do? Or what would, I don't know, a Jedi do? Um, and so uh, it, the fad is kind of worn off. But I think we should bring it back just because it's a cool idea. But, but this idea that we shouldn't just do what Jesus do, uh, did, but we should do it in the way that he did it. Because we can all do things, I think, for the wrong motive. We could do something right for a wrong reason. Like we could do, I mean, the 21 days of uh, worship, prayer, and fasting. How many of you have been fasting something? Lots of you. And so we can, we can fast and do, do a fast but then maybe for the wrong reason, we could just do it to, to brag about it or something like Twitter. Just finished my fast. Hashtag I'm awesome. <laughs> Hashtag I'm better than you. Or not that you would. That would be an extreme example, but um, obviously. But we could do things um, like Jesus did them, but we could do them in the, in the, for the wrong reason. And so um, I did this next slide is just this big idea of the Jesus way. So not only doing the things uh, that Jesus did, but doing, it, doing them in the way that he did them. And there's actually a book called The Jesus Way. It's written by Eugene Peterson. Anybody familiar with that book? A couple of people. If, you're, if you ever want to go into ministry um, and be uh, <coughs> some sort of minister, I, th- I would highly recommend this as required reading um, because it talks about how the way in which Jesus did something um, says a lot. Maybe it says even more about the thing that he did than the thing itself, the way he did something. Um, because Jesus didn't show off his, his miraculous 
powers. Jesus didn't show off in the way that um, maybe we would think he would. I mean, if he's all-powerful God on this earth, we would think, man, he's, got, he's only got a couple years of ministry. In fact, his ministry turns into about three years of ministry. So you would think that he would be running, like literally, from town to town, doing as many miracles as possible, Twittering and Facebooking and getting the hype out um, so that more and more people would know him. <coughs> and he would become more and more famous so that more and more people would believe. But instead of running from town to town, it seems so often that he walks, you know, from town to town and takes time to, to spend with, with people that, you know, aren't the, aren't the influencers. You know, if you're like trying to become rich and famous, you would, you know, you would, you wouldn't, if someone talked to you on the street, you'd be like, get out of my face. I have more important people to talk to. And that's not at all what Jesus did. He, he stopped and talked with, with people that were diseased and uh, uh, disabled and blind and the, the people that society had rejected. And here he is stopping and spending time with them. And I just think that's a pretty awesome way um, of, of revealing the Father to us, that he is not too, too big or too fast or you know, on his way to something more important to, to stop and to, to talk with us, you know, the, the sinners, the, the people that aren't the best, the most famous. Um, because we, um, I, I recommended this book, it's the, the title is The Jesus Way by Eugene Peterson, um, because there's this difference between the Jesus way and maybe the American way. And I have several pictures up here. Uh, the, the one at the upper hand uh, left is like a big old burger um, or something. I don't even know what it is, really. It's just covered in like cheese and deliciousness. Um, but there's something about the American way that's like bigger, better, faster. Uh, I put an F750 at the bottom right-hand side. Um, it's a pretty big truck. Uh, I remember being in South Africa this last summer. Anybody was in South Africa, the mill missions? I see those hands. Um, but we were there in the, in the, that year, the, the, so the Ford F-150, the 2012 edition had just come to South Africa. So all these people were like, you could go buy one. Um, and, and everybody was making a big deal about how cool these American trucks were and how big they were. And I remember like, they were like, oh, sweet, there's one. Look how big that truck is. And I'm like, what? What? I just see a pickup truck and I'm like, where's the big truck? And he's like, the F-150, look how big it is. And I was like, what? That's not a big truck. <laughs> like, and, it, and I was like, do you realize we can get F- F-250s in America? F-350s and F-750s? Like we as Americans love the idea of bigger and better. And I love it. I mean, thinking about like, if you have work to do, like carrying a load of something, wouldn't you rather carry five loads at once instead of making five trips? There's something that's like, yeah, there's something beneficial about that. But there's something very different about um, some of the fastness, some of the hype. I just put up a can of hype um, energy drink. I didn't even know that existed until I looked for it. Um, <clears throat> online, I guess you could find anything. Um, but there's something about the Jesus way that's very different than the American way. The Jesus way being this, this much slower uh, pace where Jesus has time for, for people who society thinks is outcasts. Jesus has time for, you know, in the ancient world, women were not um, appreciated like they are now. They're not considered equal like, like they should be and they are now. Um, but Jesus stops and spends time talking to this, uh, A, a Samaritan who was like a, like you could call them like a half Jew or, you know, people, it was a lot of racism back then. People that were, were disqualified from society. They were, the Samaritan and this woman, a Samaritan woman that Jesus stops and spends time with in John chapter 4. And you think about the way that Jesus does things. 
It's just, just so beautiful. So this idea of what Jesus did and how he did it is so significant. So I want you to go back to that discussion question that I gave you um, and look through that list and kind of answer this question. And then I'm going to go out with, I'm going to bring a microphone and I'd love to hear some of your reflections on this question. And it's just this. So look over that list. And so to you, so you, to you personally, um, so there's really no wrong answer because Jesus did so many things. Um, but to you, what is the most significant thing that Jesus did? And, and once again, I'll remind you with uh, the idea that not, what, not something he said. You know, so often there's lots of things that he said that are very significant. But right now we're just concentrating on the work of Jesus, what he did. So not what he said or what was done to him. Like you could just say, oh, the most significant thing was the cross. Duh. Sunday school answer, number one. Uh, but but more, more in this idea of like, well, what, that was done to him. What did he do that's so significant to you? And so to you personally. And so... Um, Think through the list, look back through it, and try to decide, well, what's the most significant thing to you that Jesus did? Ready? Get set. Discuss. All right, I'm going to make my way to the back. Um, and if you or someone at your table said something pretty significant as, as far as answering the question, what's significant to you about what Jesus did, then uh, please be willing to share. Anybody? Anybody? Start us off. Yes, Josh Moore. Always count on him. I think the most significant thing that Jesus did was show us who the Father was. Yeah. Uh, Because mankind, after the fall, kind of lost their perception and image of who God really was. And so Jesus came to show us God's love for us and God's forgiveness and God's mercy and grace. And all that can be seen through his life. Yeah, it's good. So wrapping up just this bigger picture of what he did, showing us the Father. Anybody else in the, in the far back? Yes, David Leal. Thank you. Let me get the mic to you. Go ahead. Okay, so we were just talking about, um, I think it's um, him raising from the dead. Himself when he rose from the dead. Yes, yeah, so and yeah. people can say, well, God raised him from the dead, but he was also God too. Got him. So, and I feel like if he... If he didn't raise from the dead, then he's just some other guy who did good things. Yeah. We would have nothing to believe in for faith. So. Sure. Yeah, Paul, the, 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 God, the uh, writer, says if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then, then we have nothing. Like that, that's, you know, we are to be the most, uh, what does it say? Pity. We should be the most pitied as Christians if Christ didn't raise from the dead. But he did. And so how, what an awesome thing it is. Yes. Paco? Paco, yeah. Paco, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think it's the fact that Jesus just showed us what love is. Yeah. That he came, that he was fully God, and yet he was fully man and resisted everything that we had and showed us how being to walk tempted. with him. Being tempted. and that he just, he loved. Yeah. He loved us with an everlasting love and said, do likewise. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, he begins his ministry by going into the desert, and then he's tempted, and he, he was able to withstand those temptations. But that's, a, that's awesome. Yeah, Aaron Higgins. I, I would say... Um, the story that has always really stuck out to me is is Jesus and the woman at the well. Yeah. Uh, it, in and of itself, and then there's there's even a little Sunday school song that we sing about uh, the different miracles Jesus did. And one of them taught the woman at the well. And I remember as a kid going, "He taught a woman at a well. How's that a miracle?" <laughs> but he knows for a fact that she's living with a man that's not her husband. She's been married multiple times, and he knows this, and yet he still approaches her. And still engages her, and that that to me is 
uh, obviously the, the resurrection is the most significant part of our faith. But the fact that God is approachable, not just approachable, but he's approachable to us. He approaches us despite our sin, despite yeah. the fact that we are so fallen and, and, and so dirty, and yet he's still willing to offer us something so special, so great yeah. in, in the form of eternal life. Yeah, I'll share what, to, to me, the most significant thing that, that I was thinking about this week is something along those lines. So, yeah, I think I saw a hand. Yes. Get you the mic. Um, I was thinking about it, and it really stuck out to me how, um, and it says that, and he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself to become like a man and walk among us. Oh. He gave up his deity, omnip- omnipotence, his omnipresence. He gave all that up so he could come walk among, walk among us, show us his love, show us who we are, show us who our identity is in him, and show us what we can do yeah. and give us that authority back. That's awesome. You guys, great answers. I, I got to ask this question to uh, quite a few people this week and just got some really cool answers. Um, I asked my wife, Erica, uh, this question because every day we, we ask each other questions of the day. Um, it's kind of weird, but um, so every day we read the Bible we ask each other a question of the day, and then we pray together. And so we've been doing that for six years. But anyways, I asked her, what do you think is the most significant thing that Jesus did? And she gave a really cool answer that I had never thought about, something that none of you just mentioned, at least by microphone. And that's when Jesus heals the, the man, his name is uh, Malchus, that gets his ear cut off. Do you remember that story? Did anyone say, also say that that was a pretty, the most significant thing? So my, my wife said that, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. But then it does, it does say a lot about who Jesus is. And, and because this man was, come, there was like this party of people coming to arrest Jesus on the night he was betrayed. Judas kisses him, and then they come in to arrest him. And Peter pulls out a sword and tries to, I, met, I mean, the head is really close to the ear, right? And so I imagine, tries to kill this man. And because of his superior swordsmanship, uh, misses. Um, but he cuts this dude's ear off. So this guy was coming to arrest Jesus and cuts his ear off. Um, and he gets his ear cut off. And Jesus, instead of like, yeah, that's what you deserve. You are coming to arrest me. You know, we're at war here. Jesus takes the time to like take this ear and, and like miraculously put it back on this man's head. Um, and it just goes to show that like, Although Jesus was being arrested here, he's clearly the one who's actually in charge. Like, he's clearly still God. Uh, he's allowing himself to be arrested because the same man that could grow an ear back on could, could, could just, you know, just snap his fingers and those guys would be dead. Um, so, so I just thought it was a very interesting thing. And the, the ear thing is like the guy didn't ask for his ear to be healed uh, back on, at least according to the story. Um, and it wasn't like a life you know, threatening, you know, you're, you could live without an ear, I, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, so it wasn't like a life-threatening thing, but Jesus stops and takes the time to, he, to do this miraculous healing even while he's being arrested. And so as I thought about this question for myself, um, 
actually how this, this, what I'm talking about today came about because I found this passage and I was just blown away. I was in here, we, we've been having these noon uh, worship times for the 21 days of prayer, which I've heard is going to continue on. At noon, we're going to continue uh, having worship here in the World Prayer Center. But I was sitting back there um, and just flipping through my Bible and I found this passage and it's something Jesus did. And I thought, that's so significant. Um, and then this whole sermon kind of came out of this passage and my reflections on how significant this is. And so if you want, you can turn there. Uh, I'm just going to read it for you, but I would love for ha- to have you uh, read along. Um, it's the, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, and this is uh, starting in verse 9 through 13. This uh, particular passage is sometimes called the calling of Matthew or Jesus eating with sinners. And it's, to me, it's really significant. It goes along with what Aaron Higgins said about how Jesus t- stopped and took time to hang out with sinners. Um, so here it is. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And so if you know a little bit about uh, Bible history and, and what was going on at the time, well, the Roman Empire controlled all of Israel. And so the Jewish people had to pay taxes to uh, a country, uh, an empire that was controlling them. So it was like, hey, thanks for controlling us. Here's some tax money. It was like this lose-lose situation for the Jews. And they really resented tax collectors. Um, and here Matthew is, a Jewish tax collector, this scoundrel, this traitor to the Jewish people because he's collecting money. He's a Jew collecting money for the Roman Empire, like the, a dirty tax collector. How horrible. Um, anyways, Jesus goes to him. He sees a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. This is pretty cool. There's a lot about that that we can go into and think about and reflect. Um, and then it says, verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And the Pharisees, they saw this, and they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And for me, like thinking through this message and for me answering the question, what's the most significant thing to me that Jesus did? I think this is pretty cool. Um, it was just very significant this week that Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus spends time with tax collectors and sinners. And then he, he explains why. He says, on hearing this, and hearing that people were saying, Jesus, why are you, you know, eating with tax collectors and sinners? You could be the Messiah. You, you know, are claiming to be God. You have done miracles. You know, you got bigger, better things to do. And so Jesus, hearing that, says this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And stop and think about that for a second. It's not, it's so true. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Sick people go to hospitals. And that's what hospitals are for, to take care of people. Um, so in the same way, he's telling a spiritual analogy here. So he being the great, good, awesome doctor, it's, it's not the people that are healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick people. And he says this, because really we're all sick. Um, but go and learn what this means. And then he quotes from uh, Hosea. So he's, this, his, this little, whole little you know, package of this sermon here comes down to this. It says, Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call, for I have not come, excuse me, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus is saying, 
He didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for those that think they're righteous. He came for those that know they need help. And, and by the way, that's all of us. Um, all of us have fallen short, you know, of the glory of God, as the verse says. And I just thought about this um, idea and this um, image in my head. And I've even, some people ask me, because um, I try to be cool and be into art, um, and sometimes people ask me, you said, Joe, what's your favorite painting? And I usually refer, talk about this painting and how this painting, um, is really cool. It's, it's, uh, it was the cover of your, if you got the notes today, it's the, the cover, Jesus pointing to Matthew. And this is a painting in the 1600s the, during the Baroque period. Um, because if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. Anyways, stupid art history joke. Um, but, uh, so it's Jesus on the right. How do we know? Well, there's this tiny, do you see it? Like a tiny little halo there uh, pointing to Jesus. And he's pointing to Matthew. And Matthew's like dumbfounded. Like me? Like I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a tax collector. Everybody hates me. Why would you? And, and maybe uh, Jesus, um, his, like his, his, who he was and, you know, had, had come before and like, oh, here's Jesus, this famous person, this man that's doing miracles. And here he is pointing to Matthew, a sinner, a tax collector, a traitor to his own people. And Matthew looks dumb. Are you kidding me? Like me? Seriously? And it looks like he's, Jesus is with a disciple. I don't know who it is, James, John, Peter. Um, but one of them, whoever's with Jesus, is also like, seriously, that guy? Are you kidding me? The sinner, the, the traitor, the 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 you know, the guy that's collecting taxes for the Roman Empire, this traitor. And, and he's pointing to him, and Matthew's just like dumbfounded me. Um, and then there looks like the other guys at the table are like still counting money and not caring. And some of them are like, whoa, like why is this man here? Why is Jesus here? It's just an injury. It captures this moment pretty beautifully. And um, from an art history perspective, anybody into art history? I see like one, one hand, two. Okay. Are you, Cameron Daniels is usually in here. And we, we talk about church history sometimes. But if you recognize Jesus' hand, so stop and look at Jesus' hand um, and, and the, the pose that that is in. Um, what's interesting is that hand is a pretty famous hand. Anybody recognize that particular? You do recognize? Is it from this painting right here? Uh, how many of you noticed that? Anybody? Wow, look at all the hands. Hold them up. Look at the nerds. Yes. And I mean that in a good way. I mean that really. Um, so that's the hand. It's, it's reversed. Um, but that's Adam's hand in the, the Sistine Chapel that Michelangelo painted, painted on the ceiling. The Renaissance. So he, Michelangelo painted during the Renaissance. The Baroque is right after that period. Um, so this uh, painter, Caravaggio, takes that hand. And so somehow um, taking that hand, here we'll go back to the painting. So Jesus is, I mean, look at that hand. It's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you could read a lot into uh, art and, you know, and take in a painting just like you could, you know, take in a, a word or take in um, a, a passage or meditate on, on something like that. I think in the same way you could meditate on, on beautiful paintings and think about what the artist was trying to say and what it means to you. Um, it's pretty cool. So anyways, this hand is, is like just look how relaxed it is. It's Adam's hand, maybe referring to Jesus' humanity and him be actually being on earth. And it's just so relaxed. Like it's pointing to Matthew in such a relaxed way that it looks like that hand could just be there forever. Like I'm going to keep pointing at you, even though you're dumbfounded, even though the disciple who's with Jesus looks like he's like, are you kidding me? Like that guy? Um, Jesus is like, it just looks like he's relaxed. Like he's going to keep pointing at Matthew all day if need be. 
for him to get it. They're like, yes, Jesus is calling a sinner. Jesus will then go and eat in Matthew's house, and sinners will join them. And Pharisees, these, these you know, self-proclaimed righteous ones, will say, why does Jesus eat with sinners? And, and just, uh, we could do that. We could be the same sort of pharisaical, hypocritical um, people and say, yeah, Jesus, you know, he's just for the righteous, you know, like us, like the new lifers, the Sunday schoolers. We're the, we get Jesus. We got our, you know, he's ours. But, but Jesus spends time with sinners. And then we realize, of course, if we step back for just a second, we realize that we're all sinners. We're, we've made mistakes. We are no more righteous than anyone else in, in God's eyes before a good, awesome, and perfect deity. And so Jesus chooses us in the midst of our like, are you kidding me? Like, do you know what I've done? I'm a sinner. I'm not righteous. I'm not like the disciples that were these great men of faith. I'm just, you know, I'm just Joe. I'm just, you know, whoever you are. Like, I'm, just, I'm not perfect. You're choosing me? Yeah. You're, you, Jesus is choosing you, uh, an unperfect being to represent himself on this earth. And the final thing that's so interesting about this painting to me um, is, is the clothes that Jesus is wearing and the clothes that the disciples are wearing are ancient clothes, like going back to like, you know, the, the first century AD. But the clothes that the people are wearing, did anyone notice that the clothes they're wearing is a little, a little interesting? The clothes that they're wearing would have been contemporary with the painter. So the clothes that they're wearing are the clothes of the 1600s. And so it's like contemporary clothes, like this idea that, that, uh, that Jesus is choosing people today. Like, so, so if you were in the 1600s, you'd recognize this right away. Like, oh, Jesus is wearing robes. His disciples are wearing robes that are like ancient. But here's these guys wearing clothes of today. Um, and how interesting that is that the, the artist is, is portraying this idea that Jesus is still doing the same thing. He's still picking people that are sinners and unworthy. And if you look into Caravaggio's life, if you Wikipedia him uh, today, you will find out that he was a pretty horrible sinner. Like he was known for being uh, very licentious and, and just a life of pretty crazy living. And maybe he's painting himself in some way in this painting. Like, yeah, Jesus picks me out of all the people, out of all the self-proclaimed righteous ones, Jesus picks sinners and hangs out with them, eats with them, despite people pointing at Jesus and saying, why is Jesus hanging out with sinners? and tax collectors. And so from, to, to me, that's the most significant thing that, that Jesus did as I kind of reflected and thought about that this week. It was kind of just a fresh word for me. So um, let's conclude this, this talk here this morning, which is in a, in a way concluding this whole month of January, the person of Jesus, his deity, his humanity, um, how he fulfilled the messianic role and, and what he did, all the things that we listed today. The, the acts of Jesus and how awesome that is. So let's close in prayer this morning. So Jesus, we, we pray to you right now, uh, fully God and, and fully man. You came to this earth and humbled yourself. You died on a cross. You rose again. And God, we, rem- we remember that. We think about that right now. Um, and, and God, we thank you for, for not just showing the way, but for being the way. You said that you were the way, the truth, and the life. And so, God, we, we come into your arms. We thank you that, that you hang out, that you choose us, sinners, that you eat with sinners, and that, that message of just being with us, that, that, that it's insane, that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. God, we confess to you that we are the sick ones. We are the ones that don't have it all together. We confess that we're not perfect. We confess that we have sinned. 
And God, we come before you and ask for your forgiveness. We thank you for your death on the cross. And it's in your holy name that we praise you. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, we're letting out a few minutes early, so enjoy one another's company, and we'll see you next week when we talk about salvation. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.